Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning and welcome to episode 11 of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Uh, As we know, there are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. We work to address problems with the integrity of those involved in the wrongful convictions and things that can be fixed and how. We will talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not always truth and justice for all. Keep in mind, this is a live show. Feel free to call or email questions. Uh, or topics that you would like to discuss or hear discuss on our show in, in the future. Today, I'm really excited. Our guest is a colleague and friend of mine, Brandon Perrin, an award-winning nationally recognized private investigator. He is a board-certified criminal defense investigator, certified forensic interviewer, and has been qualified as an expert in criminal investigations. Brandon has over 34 years of investigative experience serving as a United States Air Force criminal investigator, state of Florida public defender investigator, civil and human rights investigator, licensed private investigator, training curriculum developer, instructor, author, and motivative, motivational speaker. So good morning, Brandon. Great to have you on the show, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Thanks for having right. me. you got to add at Thank the you. end, it's such a long title, Poet, Philosopher, <laughs> and Professional Adventurer. Gives me a little more romanticized that title. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you get you have a, a long, distinguished career, so there's definitely a lot to say. Is that a way of saying I'm old? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't look it, that's for sure. <laughs> I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> hey, on previous shows, I, I've mentioned that there are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States, and, and we try to create an understanding for our listeners that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all, and that everyone needs to be aware that it, it's really a widespread widespread problem in our country, and it doesn't discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. And anyone can become a victim of the judicial system because of false or coerced statements ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse stitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. And you and I can probably tell war stories all day long on all of the above. Um, but for, for our listeners, did you know that there are approximately 2 million people in jail or prison in the United States? And there's no perfect formula that can be applied to how many are actually innocent but it's believed to be anywhere from 2% to as many as 10%. And even on the low end, that equates to 40,000 people. Or on the high end, it could be as many as 200,000 innocent men and women who have been wrongfully convicted. And what you need to keep in mind, that doesn't include those who have been wrongfully charged of a crime either. So those numbers are really much higher. And there's no one better to have on this show than Brandon to discuss criminal defense work. Brandon... You're an expert in the field in criminal defense investigations and obviously known throughout the country. How and when did you first get involved with the criminal defense work? I guess my first encounter with criminal defense investigation was actually, well, actually serving as an investigator, a criminal investigator with the United States Air Force. And I'd always had contact with defense attorneys on the stand uh, under cross-examination, et cetera. 
But I had one call me one day from Area Defense Council, and he said, would you mind talking to me about your investigation? Like, no, I got no problem with that. And I sat down with him and had a great discussion with him. And I'll never remember him. I'll never forget him saying to me at the end, I wish we had investigators in our office to help us conduct investigations on behalf of the defense to provide a due process investigation. And they didn't have any. And that was my first encounter. It intrigued me. And when I ended up leaving the Air Force after about four, four plus years, I pursued a couple of different jobs, and I had three offers, two from police departments and one from the public defender's office in Florida. And the more I looked into it, I stepped up and took the challenge, and I just found I enjoyed the criminal defense investigation arena because, first of all, I thought it was a pure investigative role that allowed and encouraged creative thinking and critical thinking uh, without really being focused on being a law enforcement officer. I could be an investigator. The other part was, I think most criminal defense investigators and due process investigators and, and many investigators in general, they tend to be a rebel. They like to rebel against a system that they know is broken. The criminal justice system is actually a non-system. And so when you conduct due process investigations and you engage in criminal defense investigations, you are the proverbial David versus Goliath. Your resources are limited. You're usually alone with the attorney. You have to draw upon your wits your intellectual acuity, you have to draw upon your raw training experience and expertise to truly make a difference. You have to overcome obstacles. What you lack in resources, you have to make up ensure dedication and pure diligence. And so it's, it's really a challenge. And the numbers you gave are so alarming when you think about it, of how many people, 40,000 plus, could be incarcerated right now for charges and for crimes they didn't commit. And you did mention that. That doesn't even count those who are arrested and incarcerated for a day or for three days or for an hour. We're Americans, and having our liberty taken from us for even a moment is really, it, it's, it's, it's something that is just a stripped of you and you can never get back. And you can remember, our entire system of American jurisprudence is based on the simple concept of Sir William Blackstone. It is better that 10 guilty escape than one innocent suffer. And if we are trying to adhere to that standard, and your numbers and statistics are correct or even close, we are failing miserably. You are so right. And, and that was so well well said. I, I, I love it and wish I had you on, on one of the earlier shows as well. It is, it's amazing on, on what people don't know and don't realize. And, and you, like you stated, you know, even if you're incarcerated for one hour or one day, which most people when they're arrested for, for a crime, they're usually in there for a while, whether it's, you know, if they get bailed yeah. out, they're lucky. If it's a homicide case or murder case, they could be in there for two to three years while going yes. through the trial process. And when they're I, acquitted, I, if they're acquitted, no apologies, no, no oh, we're sorry, nothing. oops, just Move on, clear by arrest, doesn't matter. Your time, your freedom meant nothing to us. Ain't that the truth? I, I have a, a girl, a female client that I've, I've mentioned on this show before, and um, I'm going to have on the show once everything clears through. But she was, she was um, uh, extradited from Arizona to Pennsylvania for a bad check case that she was a victim of. She was selling on an um, Let It Go app. She was selling a washer and dryer. 
and the check happened to be a bad check. She cashed it. I mean, any of us could be a victim of this. You know, when you're selling something on, sure. on eBay, on Craigslist, on whatever, and you get a bad check from somebody. And, and there was what I learned in the investigation. There was numerous victims. And the police had charged one other person. But this girl was extradited and spent, first of all, the, the trip, they put him in a van. And they take him across country in a van. It took 11 days. So she was in this van for nine days and spent two nights overnight in a jail in between. But imagine that 24-7 in a van with criminals, and she's never been charged with a crime before in her life. Then she spent almost two and a half months in jail until we got her released on her own. Um, and we're still fighting. But in, in this case, in, in my opinion, professional opinion, they really used the law to blackmail her to pay that $1,500 back. That's all they did was a civil case. But she can never, she can never get that time back. And during that time, she, had, she was divorced. She had to send her two kids to go live with her ex-husband in Texas. So now you just relocated her young children to another state for a one-year school year because of their whatever you want to call it. It's just people can't get this time back and how crucial and important it is. So here's a person who didn't violate the law. They destroyed a person. They traumatized a person. They broke up a family. And I didn't see that anywhere on the press. I didn't see anyone raising up their arms in their far pretend, uh, you know, outrage. But here it is right here. American citizens being uh, destroyed every day by a system that just doesn't work. And, and it's not that the system doesn't function, in my opinion. It's that as long, whenever you bring the human element into it, Gonna screw it up. Mm-hmm. It's going to be mistakes. Yep. It's going to be errors. Right. And when you hear people walking around as if they never make mistakes, prosecutors, law enforcement officers, it just makes me shake my head. Going, you know, we are inherently flawed as human beings. And, and one of the things we have to accept is that we make errors. And that's why there's checks and balances. And criminal defense investigators, criminal defense attorneys, they are the checks and balances. They're not always popular for what they do. But at the end of the day, truth seekers never are. Someone who does what you do for a living, you're never going to be popular with certain people because at the end of the day, what are you doing? You know, you're being attacked for trying to tell the truth. You're being attacked by prosecutors, by law enforcement, by a culture that doesn't want the truth exposed. It wants their narrative to be revealed and to be upheld. But you come in and attack it at the very core, breaking down every fact, you know, line by line, page by page, inconsistency, discrepancies, errors, omissions and flaws, showing the lack of investigation. And at the end, they make you a target. But, you know, look what, hap- look what happens to every truth seeker. You know, they're beaten, they're persecuted, they're battered, they're prosecuted, and at the end, they're crucified. Not exactly a recruitment poster for what we do, but you know, <laughs> it speaks to the rebel that you have to be. You have to have courage, intelligence, and as I always say, a personality. If you don't have one, get one, because they've got to be able to get people to talk to you, you know, to reveal the truth. Absolutely. And, you know, I always I, I always bring this up and I say it's it's adversarial and, and it shouldn't be. Right. right. So when you're working a criminal defense case, instead of the two sides working together, the prosecution and the defense, it, it's like a it's like a football game or anything else. You know, you're, you're going to yep. war and somebody's got to win and everybody needs to take the blinders off. The only person that's winning is the person who's actually innocent. Now, if the person's guilty, they should be convicted and charged with a crime and, Absolutely. and do their time. I mean, Absolutely. you know, hands down. But work together, especially when they're, it's a PCRA case, you know, post-conviction and appeal, and they know the truth and they just want to hide it. And they, they want to, I don't want to say hide it, they want to look the other way 
because God forbid that they made a mistake, that somebody made a mistake. Own up to it and let's move on and fix it. That's I, how I, I think see one it. of the problems, and in, in I, I recognize in my 34 years in doing this has been that the attorneys are without question in an adversarial role that it, 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 it should be at some level. However, I think that the problem we have at the core at the foundation in our justice system where the mistakes are made are at the investigative level. And if you think, and that's on the law enforcement side, and I don't, I don't put all that responsibility on law enforcement. I put it on the culture. You, you've been doing this long enough to remember there was a time when law enforcement officers, detectives were allowed to be, they were called peace officers. They were allowed to use discretion to solve problems. They're allowed to, you know, use critical thinking, creative thinking to investigate matters, engage in probing investigation to determine the truth of a matter, determine if a crime was committed or not, just not who committed a crime. The the mere uh, advancement of an allegation doesn't justify or confirm that a crime was actually committed. But it seems that in our culture now, that's the position taken. When we started getting into law enforcement accreditation and standardization, we started to create the checklist mentality, which removed the creative and critical thinking from the process. And that's where I see the flaw. But even at this level, where, where law enforcement is often replaced investigation with what I call documentation, they document an incident happened as opposed to investigate whether or not an incident happened. It's like they're approaching every investigation like it's an OSHA um, warehouse uh, accident claim as opposed to just really probing into the investigation, you know, engage in the facts, peel back the onion. That's been lost in the culture. It really has, in my opinion. And the, the other thing, and I have to say this, law enforcement has been getting a bad rap because at the end of the day, law enforcement conducts their investigation. They refer for prosecution. The prosecutors, the prosecutors have the discretion to decide whether or not this case is valid, whether it meets the standards. They have the, the ability to no prosecute case, drop it, dismiss it. They have it. Do you notice who gets the bad rap all the time? The lawyers walk away. The prosecutors walk away from public scrutiny. They walk away from media scrutiny. They walk away from blame. They kick the ball right back down to the street-level cops. Law enforcement gets all of the guilt, gets all of the accusations and all the blame. But I ask this to every person who's out there listening. Who really is at fault for injustice? Who really is at fault for a false conviction or a false in putting someone in prison for something they didn't do? It's the prosecutor's who make it a numbers game as opposed to pursuing justice and pursuing the truth. That's great. Very well said. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and there is no accountability for the prosecution um, for the district attorneys when they make a mis- when they purposely do something, you know, Brady violations. There was, um, there was no, a podcast. No, a slap on the wrist. A but, slap but on the wrist. That, Nothing. Don't that, do that. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. And now, if if we withheld information, our license could be taken away, and probably would be right. We we may even be charged charged with a crime. Yeah, we may be. We, but, we would probably be in charge with a crime. You know, one of the things I hold up well is that I wear like a badge of honor that the U.S. Attorney's Office one time wanted me off a case so bad that they attempted to indict me. Wow. And the only thing you can do in a position like that is be indignant. Is know that you're ethical. You follow the rules, and at the end of the day, you wear your integrity like a suit of armor. That's what mm-hmm. you do. It was a complete yep. fail. And I only learned about it afterwards, after the case was over. I was like, really? And a public, the federal public defense said, yeah, they were trying to indict you. And I laughed. I said, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, nice try. 
you know? And, and it's important that investigators, that people who use a private investigator use a public defender investigator to advance their case. And it's important to keep this in mind. What do we do? Law enforcement conducts their investigation or documentation or lack of, and they present that the prosecutor makes a decision and they're going to move forward. Think of all the resources and all the manpower and all the funding that was put into just one case. So then the average person goes out and they hire an attorney if they're lucky, if they have the money, or they may have one appointed to them. They need to find the funds, or if they're indigent, make sure they ask their attorney to request the funds for an investigator. Because how an individual charged of a crime, accused of a crime, would ever go to court, ever even think about moving forward in their case without an investigator conducting an independent ethical investigation on their behalf to determine that and uncover everything that was that should be disclosed. Not only the story that's presented by the prosecutor, by law enforcement, but the backstory, the rest of the story, all of the other facts. They may find that the additional information, additional witnesses, additional facts have come forward that not only change the prosecutor's narrative and their theory of prosecution, but may diminish it and provide an alternative narrative that makes more sense because that's the truth. So I really think people need to understand that they have a right to request an investigator if they're indigent, and they certainly have a right to hire one. And it should be, you know, something we've spoken about in the past. They need to ask their lawyer when they hire. Hire the best lawyer they can, someone with references, someone who's been to trial in the past year, not past 10 years. You know, <laughs> they just mm-hmm. bleed them and plead them. But they need to ask their attorney, who's going to do the investigation? And if the attorney says, I will, ask him a simple question. How many classes in investigation did you have in law school? And the answer is going to be zero. Absolutely. So where in the world, under what planet, in what universe, would someone believe they know how to conduct an investigation? They don't. Stay in your lane. They need a professional doing that investigation, someone such as yourself, someone who's experienced, who has the credentials, knows what they're doing. That not, they would, that not just a former cop or an investigator in another area of discipline. They need to have the expertise, the training, and the experience to really tackle and handle a criminal defense investigation. Otherwise, you don't go to a dentist for open-heart surgery. <laughs> you know, right, get someone right. who knows what they're doing. Oh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I preach that all the time, and you're absolutely right. And, and before we go to break, and, and you touched on training, and we're, we're going to move into that right after our break, but I just want to mention – everybody has a right to an attorney and to a defense and, and meaning an investigator. And and you've always, always stated that the one problem that people's defendants hands are often tied because even if they do get the approval from the courts, a lot of times they're paying pennies on the dollar or they cap it and they may cap it at $500. How could you do a murder investigation and I'm not trying to say this is about money. I mean, we're all obviously in this for, for uh, business and, and to make a living as well. However, you need to provide adequate amount of investigative work at, at a reasonable uh, expense. And then they, they tie your hands with that. It's true. Very true. So It is you know, that, better that, because I've been around long enough to remember when criminal defense investigation wasn't even a discipline. <laughs> right, right. It's uh. And when it wasn't even on the radar, and it is now, it is now. Yourself, you're a nationally recognized board certified criminal defense investigator. You're a, a criminal defense investigation National Academy graduate. You do these cases all the time. You have a wealth of success in what you do and fighting 
on behalf of pursuing the truth for those who are falsely accused. And there's so many more like you out there. There was a time when it was very limited, very limited. Um, but it, it's getting better. You know, I'd like to say we're at that, we're at the beginning of that change, that paradigm shift um, that's in our, our system and in our culture that's, that's out there. I mean, I, and when you talk about training, I mean, the past couple of years, I've trained the United States military, uh, you know, the Army and Air Force, and, and, and was uh, an emphasis on the United States Marine Corps, who are now training criminal defense investigators to support their JAG offices, especially defense attorneys. And their, their motto is Defense Services Organization, Marines Defending Marines. Um, because at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're not trying to get guilty people off. We're trying to defend the United States Constitution, specifically the Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment. That's what we're doing. We're representing and defending the Constitution of the United States. Those rights are ours. They're our rights. They're not privileges. They belong to every one of us. And, and at the end of the day, everybody should be presumed innocent until found guilty. And, you know, there's a lot of people don't believe that because they want to watch their, uh, you know, law and order shows, which, by the way, I love the show law and order. But it's just also a great show to watch if you want to see how to violate someone's constitutional rights in and out throughout the day. But it's entertainment. It's not the real world. It's entertainment. You know? Absolutely. Yep. On that note, we're going to take a real quick break. We'll be right back and we'll get into a little bit more about training. So stand by. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Welcome back, and we're here with Brandon Perrin. 
And we're just talking about so many different things. And, and Brandon, one of the things you mentioned is the TV shows and Law and Order and everything else that, you know, a lot of um, the public watch. One of the things that I was really disappointed in, there was a TV show called the Conviction Integrity Unit. And I thought it was a pretty good show because it's a lot of what we do, um, talking about, right. you know, righting the wrong and whatnot. And it only lasted one season. <laughs> Why is that? That, you know, the shows that are really t- speaking the truth and, you know, doing something good, they don't last. But the other ones just go on for 14 seasons. It's, it's interesting how that works. Yeah, I, I think know. it comes down to everybody wants to get the bad guy, but they don't realize that when you're an investigator, the bad guy is not so clear. We're not sure who they are, you know, right. and, you know, and it's about us as investigators, as professionals, we recognize and have to retrain ourselves and our way of thinking early on in our careers that we have to be very fact driven. We have to dismiss and suppress our biases and our prejudices. And that's a struggle we deal with every day, every case. Every, every moment, because we're human beings and we can't help but come to conclusions, but we have to put those aside. We have to look at everything as a potential theory, as a hypothesis, so to speak. And we look at hypothesis or theories as something to be proven or disproven. You know, I always go back to the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, quote, you know, the author of Sherlock Holmes, first eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable must be the truth. And it really goes towards that, approaching things from a, uh, a process of elimination, not just what appears to be true, which the low-hanging fruit is called that for a reason, because it's easy to pick and everybody goes for it. But you ever notice on any kind of tree, apple tree or orange tree, the low-hanging fruit is usually riddled with bugs, you know, it's got insects, <laughs> it's rotting. The, the good stuff is high up in the tree at the top where it's been given all the nutrients. That's where the truth lies. You've got to climb. You've got to work. Yep. You got to put some effort to get to it. And that's what an investigator does, you know, and that's the difference between documentation and investigation. Investigation's hard. It's time consuming. It's exhausting. It's intellectually challenging. Um, so you need a professional who's doing it, you know, and again, I said, it's times of change and it's getting better. We're not where we want to be, uh, but it's, it's getting better. And I am not a criminal defense investigator who takes a hard line against law enforcement. I have many friends and colleagues in law enforcement, I, I was in law enforcement. Um, I just, you know, when you have a bad apple, that bad apple always tends to basically get the attention. You know, if you think about it, it's like a family. You can have three kids or four kids. One bad one gets all the attention and, and takes all the resources away. And the good ones tend to be sometimes left to fend by themselves, you know. So the same thing holds in any kind of uh system or process or look at the American family uh, as an entire, you know, uh, organization that we all belong to. Great analogies. Good stuff. And, and I agree. And earlier you mentioned before, you know, it, you, you need the training. You need to have somebody, an investigator who specializes in criminal defense. And we obviously know so many people in our profession who are awesome at doing surveillances, awesome that are doing, you know, workers comp investigations and product liability and, and, um, uh, arson investigations. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But that insurance guy who's doing the surveillances, who can blend in and you never even know he's there and has all kinds of technology and good cameras and cool equipment, they may not know how to do a criminal defense case. And with, with that being said, you are the founder of the Criminal Defense, defense Investigative Investigation Training Council. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about this? Um, it, it's obviously I, I attended your academy and, and 
recommend it to everyone. So if you can just touch on that, that'd be awesome. Well, the, the Criminal Defense Investigation Training Council, or CDITC, was fundamentally founded, uh, it'll be 20 years ago. It's 20 years ago, I believe, in the next month or so. So it's been a long time. <laughs> it first, yeah, yeah, 20 years. It first came to fruition when I was a public defender investigator, and I was tasked with coming up with a training program to train public defender investigators. There was no training. It was just bits and pieces of law enforcement training trying to adapt it to what they did. There was a lot of uh, misguided uh, interpretation of how things should be done, a lack of focus, a lack of understanding that you you were more of a legal investigator when you worked on the criminal defense side. You had to understand everything post-arrest, going through the process, through the judicial system. There were more rules to consider. You had to work as an agent of counsel now, working with attorneys and under their attorney-client privilege and work product doctrine. You had to understand the criminal rules of procedure, uh, not investigation procedure as it relates to how a, a tri- how a case unfolds and works through the system, understand the rules of discovery, reciprocal discovery, a lot of terms that me and you can throw out right now and we completely get, but you can talk to a detective who's been working a case or an FBI agent working cases for 25 years, and some of those terms just fall deaf on them because it's not their lane, it's not their area of expertise. And when I developed this, uh, I needed a methodology it's what became, what arrived at the component method. So I developed a component method system that basically is six fundamental steps of the investigative process. The first being the forensic case review analysis, the, the second, the defendant interview, the third, the crime scene inspection, the fourth, the impeachment investigation, the fifth, witness interviews, and the sixth, report of investigation. And laid out in that manner, it's designed for optimal results when you have the resources and ability to approach a case from a comprehensive perspective as opposed to just a task-oriented perspective. So that's what the component method was designed for. Think of it like a box system. You pick and you, you arrange certain components of investigation. Each component has multiple levels of application within it and checklists and best practices that should be d- done based upon defending due process, defending the Sixth Amendment, and ensuring that due diligence is you know, apply to each case. Now, those boxes or components can be moved around based upon the needs of the case. But fundamentally, they become a default action plan for any investigator who approaches an investigation, a standard. And its standard is as complex and comprehensive as the component method is. It is a minimum standard. I, am, as a trainer, believe that anyone who enters training needs to approach it like a martial art or like any kind of sport. You have to drill, 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 and assimilate the information. So you imitate assimilate. And once you become assimilated in that specific function, that those standards, those techniques, that's when you innovate. We have too many people now who come in with no experience, no training, and they want to innovate. Innovate what? They don't have any training or skills to innovate. They'll say, I freestyle. It's like freestyle means you have no discipline. You have no standards. You have no specific process. You and I or any one of our colleagues can look at someone else's investigation and we can see the core, we can see the foundation of an effective investigation that was following specific standards and best practices. We can see it's there or not. And, but the average person, the layperson who needs that investigator, as you said, they could be hiring someone who I say practices door law, door investigation. In other words, they take whatever walks in the door and they're always claimed to be an expert in it. And that's unfortunate. It's still buyer beware out there for the average consumer, the average you know client and defendant. At the end of the day, with the internet, 
with just Googling. There's no reason someone should be entering into pursuing or hiring or retaining a, an investigator who specializes in criminal defense from a position of ignorance. The information's out there. It's all over the place. They can listen to the show and know exactly. Contact you and you'll refer them. You have colleagues all over the country and the world. You know? Right. So we're we're yep. well connected. Absolutely. And it's, it's so true. In fact, I wrote an article and I shared it with you um, for the Pennsylvania Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys. And the it, it, it listed the component method and, um, and your uh, academy. And the, the uh, editor who worked for the public defender's office couldn't wait for that article to be live to share that article with their investigators just as, as a training tool. So, and wow. it was, <laughs> you know, it really just scratched the surface. Obviously you need that, you need the whole right. week long course, but you know, it, it touched on, um, you know, little things that need to be done and, and she couldn't wait to share that with her investigators, which made me happy. You know, that was a good thing. Well, it's important. Uh, I mean, here you are an expert and you are sharing just the fundamentals of what you know. And and people may not realize who listen, but you are a, a proverbial member, member of the knighthood when it comes to defending the Constitution and the Sixth Amendment. You put in the time at your own expense, your own effort. You've gone out there and pursued training, experience, and network. We just finished our National Academy last week, and we had people from all over the country in Canada who came here, came to the United States, came to Florida to 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 pursue the knowledge they need to to have the uh, tools or the weapons, as I say, in their arsenal uh, to effectively represent, you know, clients out there, conduct an independent, honest, open, ethical investigation. And it's fascinating. It just grows and grows and grows. Um, And the more people we can train at the ground level, the more they go out and they can spread that word and just make a difference. Because I am a firm believer in the Constitution is, is crucial. It's important. We can't just defend those amendments that we like the most, you know, nobody has a problem defending the first amendment because nobody can shut the hell up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. <laughs> but you take away the rest of them and that first amendment's going to go away. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to go yep. away. You know, they're all important. They're all crucial. That is true. And, and, and you mentioned earlier, I'm always amazed with the different groups that you were training from the military to the public defenders. Um, can you tell us some more uh, about some of the different agencies that request training from you and, and how can we help um, get the word out so, you know, more people in different states that, you know, maybe you're, you're not seeing um, the requests from? How can we help to do that? But what are some of the different groups that you guys currently train or that you currently train? Well, we work very closely not with, with about 42, 43 public defender agencies in 42, 43 public uh, states. You know, that's what we deal with. So the public defender system has been very responsive. Their only problem for securing training has historically been funding. Uh, the public defender systems in, in all the states tend to be last on the totem pole when it comes to getting money. Uh, but when they have the economy has... People will talk about where the economy is right now, but the economy is doing better, and I see it because government states have more money for training. They're actually investing money in their people right now. I've noticed an an uptick in that in the past year and a half to two years. So that's important. So we hope that trend continues, you know, professionalizing their investigation, uh, you know, uh, members. They call them support in public defender systems, but that's, that's a crucial core part of their 
uh, effective counsel. You know, one of the reasons the biggest things that attorneys can get held accountable for is ineffective counsel, as you know. Well, one of the ways they can be held accountable for ineffective counsel is because of ineffective or lack of investigation. That responsibility falls on the lawyer. Whether or not the invest- an investigator did a proper or effective investigation at the end of the day in a criminal defense case is that the investigator is an agent of counsel. And so your listeners understand that if the investigation fails, the attorney's held accountable by the bar. It's important to recognize that the, the American Bar Association has rules of effective representation. And right in their rules, the first line is, the attorney has a duty to investigate on behalf of the defendant. Duty. Not recommend it, not suggest. Duty to investigator. And an investigation should be pursued prior to considering a plea. Think about that for a moment. How many lawyers are failing on that standard alone? Failing. Not looking into it. Because what they're doing is just accepting what the state says as gospel. So excuse me, if that's how they play that game, I'd love to play poker with these people. Because I'll just tell them, I have four races. You should just fold right now. (laughs) And I guess they'll believe me. (laughs) That's so true. Very true. And and it it just goes on and on. And then, you know, unfortunately, proving that there was ineffective, uh, ineffective counsel in the PCRA process is an uphill battle. I mean, it it may be clear as day, but but then it also becomes like a good old boys club. Right. Because now that same trial attorney has to say, oh, yeah, there was ineffective counsel. And he's got to say that that attorney that that attorney did no good, you know, and of course the attorney is going to get on the stand and say, oh no, I did this, this, and this, I did everything that I was supposed to do. So it really, yeah. it, it becomes this click and how do you um, break into that? It's, it's tough to, uh, to move forward when you have that. And, and you again, prove it, it's, but it's, it's you got to know the right attorney to use. Some lawyers who are true believers in what they do, they will fall on the sword and they will admit that they made mistakes. They will do it. But others, their ego gets in the way and they won't. As you said, you know, many attorneys won't take a case because they're afraid and they don't want to engage in the practice of calling another attorney bad or they did a poor job on this. Then even if that happens, the defense team on the, at the trial level, when the, if they're grant, if the uh, new attorney, if the defendant hires an attorney for post-conviction relief and ineffective counsel, that lawyer files for a hearing. If they're granted the hearing, the, the, the attorney and defense team is now represented by the prosecutor who held the case. So right. the prosecutor is now defending the defense team that they did a good job? It's bizarre. It's like a, an episode of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it really is. It, it makes no sense when you think about it. You know, no sense. It, it doesn't. And, and I don't know how we fix that other than obviously going in there and, and doing reinvestigating and proving what 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 should have been the first time. But it's just it's part of our judicial system that needs some oversight. Yeah, yeah, you're dead. You're, you're dead on with that. It's 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 a mess in there. It really is. It's a mess. And it's because there's so much discretion, which I don't know how you get away with, get around that. But different jurisdictions, politics, legal culture community standards, they all play into what's going to happen in a specific courthouse. That, that's why the average person looks and they see this in, imbalance. They see things are so bizarre and, and lopsided across the country. They don't understand how it happens. But if you work in the system, you do. It's human mm-hmm. error. It's human prejudice, human flaws that causes all those problems. And I don't know how you remove us from the equation. You know, I'm not sure I want an algorithm determining you know, justice either. <laughs> you know, right. But 
No, um, definitely not. Above my pay grade. <laughs> I, I, I agree. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all welcome back Brandon, I, I just got an email question, and, and it, it reads, have you heard about all of the corruption with the Philadelphia Police Department, Chicago Police Department, and some of the others in the news lately, and what are your thoughts about that? Is that a question for me? Yes. Absolutely. If, if you're heard familiar with, it, with what's going on yeah, in Philadelphia and Chicago. Yeah, absolutely have heard about it. Yeah, absolutely have heard about it, and my thoughts are that uh, I think we need the corruption is, is going to come from the political oversight or lack of oversight, the lack of standards that are being applied. I think if you can remove politics from the equation, all of that could be corrected and cleaned up. But you need people and you need leadership who are going to be willing to do that. And you're going to need people who know what they're doing. I think one, as long as when you take some of the old uh, jurisdictions, and I say old because they've been around for so long, their political machines are powerful. You find that in Philadelphia, in New York, Chicago. You find it in the uh, Northeast. When you've got that involved and you're going back to locations that have had historically influences from everything from the political parties to the mob, when you've got that culture in place, it becomes very difficult to correct things that are wrong. Um, because everybody tries to correct to protect the status quo. 
And I really believe that you need more citizen involvement, more citizen advisory boards that have teeth, that have teeth. You have more oversight and you need more openness, you know, more transparency that can be brought into the equation and more money in training, training, training. If you have that, training is always the first to go when things are rough and it makes no sense. It's just like in business. You always hear that when things get tough, the marketing budget goes. Well, that's where the money should be (laughs) trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, promote. Uh, The same thing holds for training. It's the first to go and uh, the quality of it, you know. Maybe training organizations shouldn't be internal. Maybe training should be a uh, more of a national standard or state standard where every police department's getting training from the same sources. And those sources are not internal to their organization, which means they're not internal to their politics and internal to their influences. And this whole concept of an internal affairs division that, that's basically <laughs> functioning within the confines of a police department, I believe that should be removed and corrected. That should be an independent agency that handles that. Make it a statewide organization that doesn't answer to the police department. If you have that, they might have more teeth and you might see more things being done. You know, so I have a lot of thoughts and we don't have enough time to go through them. So I really appreciate the email and I believe they're spot on with the problem. The solution, they're there. It's a matter of people being willing to actually come up with a solution and apply it. Corrective action. But that's where the lack of will tends to be. And, and you mentioned that it goes back to these old these police departments that have been around for a long time. A uh, few, I guess it's been about two months now. We had Jeffrey Walker on the show. Jeffrey Walker was a 24-year veteran of the Philadelphia Police Department, the narcotics unit, and he was corrupt. And he was he was busted and arrested by the feds, and he started to cooperate. And he did cooperate, and he did three years, served three years in federal prison. And he's still trying to uh, write the right. He's working on numerous, numerous cases. Um, and we're talking thousands of um, reversals from just Philadelphia alone because of all the things that have, have gone on. But one of the things he mentioned is that one of his partners, somebody he worked with, he remembers uh, um, when their father was a detective and how the father was corrupt and the father, he would steal money. They would go in the basement and steal money that the dad would have like 20 grand wrapped up in a, in a rubber band and they would steal money from that because the, the father was corrupt and it just goes from generation to generation to generation. Yeah. And he mentioned that it just, it, it's so it's deep. Culture. It ju- mm-hmm. yep, it's culture. It's it like is. anything in, in, in any police department's culture. If there is some, a major vein of bad behavior, you can look towards the culture like anything in families and communities where, you know, it's people don't like change. And when you're an agent of change, you usually come under attack. You know, people don't want change if they, especially if they have it going well for themselves and they're benefiting from corruption and from deceit and from lying. It's a problem, you know, but it's, it's something that has to be addressed. And I just don't believe that internal policing works. I just don't believe that. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't just, either. I think it's I, difficult. I, I, Even with the best leaders, it's tough. I, I, I did an investigation. This was frustrating too because I, I did one on a homicide detective, and uh, dealing with internal affairs was, you know, at, at that time um, it was difficult. But I, I reached out to the FBI, and who do you think was on loan from from that police department to the FBI? But somebody from that police department, <laughs> right? So on a now, task force, yeah. It, <laughs> really, it was it was a challenge, um, but it, it just it is. And in Philadelphia, I, I can speak. I, I working in Philadelphia all the time, and 
you know, there's so many problems there. And just recently, there's been an epidemic with um, their Facebook post, and they just terminated like nine or 10 people. And now they're saying there's 15 more that are going to get terminated. And there's others that were um, just left on their own, you know, they, they just left. But one of the big problems in Philadelphia is the police is the union, the FOP, their, their union. And it is so difficult to terminate somebody. Philadelphia has a lot of good police officers, a lot of good detectives. I mean, there's, there, there's so much mm-hmm. crime, unfortunately, and, and they're working hard. Um, it just takes those bad apples. You know, when you have a department that's 5,000 strong, 6,000 strong, and you got 10, 10 of them, 20 of them, 30 of them that are dirty uh, or bad apples, that just create it just creates a big and it problem. It paints everybody else, and that's an important point. The majority of law enforcement officers are good people. They're yep. dedicated. They have families. They have kids. They they're doing their job. They want to protect and serve. They literally do, you know. But we always focus on the bad. We're you know as human. You know, if there's a fight in school when we're kids, we stop and we watch and we're excited by it. If there's Something bad happening in the street. Everybody gathers to watch it unfold. No one's watching at what's good. No one's paying attention to the good people. It's just it's, it's very similar to what you see with the uh, attack upon a generation, millennial. I have a generation X, or I remember being attacked when I was a kid. You know, I remember. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing now. But I know plenty of young people, millennials, who are good people, dedicated. You know, working in great jobs, going to school and intelligent. But who do we focus on? We focus on the nut jobs. We focus on the loose cannons, the ones that go off the reservation because they're interesting. They're interesting. They're entertaining. But that's not reality, you know. And we all have got to step up and say something. In our own field, we see it, right, Jeff? We say, hey, as licensed private investigators, whatever state we're in, if you actually participate in associations and organizations, we have to report those bad apples. It's hard, Absolutely. you know, yep. but nobody ever said doing what's right is easy. No one. <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult. You know, it's easy well to said. do the wrong thing. You know? mm-hmm. Made your bed. Now you got to sleep in it. That's true. It's true. You know, but our, it's the culture that's got to change. And it's just, you know, and how do you do that? I mean, it's slow. It's, it's glacial. But it can be done. It can be done. But it's done by leading by example. And I really think the leadership including unions, need to step up. They need to set standards, you know? But again, what happens? They become no longer interested in what's right. They become interested in protecting themselves and surviving. Right. You know, and when that happens, the objective is lost. Doesn't matter what the charter says. They're not doing that anymore. They're, pers- they're doing what's in their best interest, you know? And that, that becomes the sad part. And we need, how do we take away that? How do we make checks and balances? I don't know. I don't know. You know, and, and that's, that's the way is, is having the checks and balances and, and your the culture needs to change. And the only way that's going to change is if you get the leadership, you mentioned this, if you get the leadership that wants to be that rebel and say, you know what, we need to change. This is what we need to do. The problem is when you're talking about some of these police departments and they're, you know, they're in the thousands, <laughs> all they don't want th- they don't want that change even even private investigators you know we want to change the private nope. detective act of 1953 in Pennsylvania and there's PIs that don't want to change it they're afraid that we're going to need CEUs or uh, the fees are going to go up or you know something so there's there's people yeah. that don't want to see a change and they like it the way it is no. yep they're used to it they're comfortable and they're in a comfort zone unfortunately that's dangerous it's a dangerous place to be 
You know, we should always be challenged as professionals, always challenged. That makes us, that allows us to evolve, become stronger and better. Absolutely. And that's yep. what we need. And in law enforcement agencies, I, I really believe it just needs to be leadership stepping up and saying, here's an idea. Here's a novel idea. Stand up and tell your rank and file from this point on, our only pursuit is going to be that of the truth. We're going to follow the law, period. Honest brokers of information. And if a bad guy goes free because our investigation failed to uncover information, because maybe it's not our lack of investigation, it's just the facts and evidence weren't available. That's okay. We'll get him next time if he commits another crime, but we're going to adhere to better than 10 guilty escape than one innocent suffer. We're not going to... We're going to minimize and reduce the number of innocent people who are caught up in our net. We can't allow that. Community policing is a concept written in every police department, but all of these negative contacts that law enforcement officers have with the public create that mistrust. So when they say we can't be, you know, the, the community hates us. Well, why do they hate you? What did you do? Is it contact? Is it attitude? I've been around long enough and was in law enforcement to know that a lot of mentalities are that there's good guys who are cops and every other citizen a bad guy. That's it. You know, and when you have that mentality, you're going to have a bad situation. You know, what do we learn as defense investigators? One of the things we believe in, impartial, objective advocates of the truth, and we don't take it personal. Never take it personal. So if, uh, if, you know, you do, do your job professionally. If you're a police officer, you don't have to take anything personally. Sticks and stones, man. Sticks and stones. You know, it wasn't always as bad as it is. So we can't be creating a you know, professional snowflakes who are insulted and aggravated by everybody who insults them. So what? You go home to your family. You go home. It's dangerous out there, you know, and we need community, community support. Police officers need community support to help them, to cover their six, to watch their back. How do they get that back? Reach out. Reach out, you know. You know, social media doesn't help, of course, and I don't want to oversimplify the approach. But I really believe that with the right leadership, with the right mentality, the right philosophy and methodologies, law enforcement can win back the public. They can do it. They can do it. Because truth is on their side at the end of the day. Truth is on their side. But they got to find I, a, a plan. they got to have a plan. I hope so because they need it. You know, it definitely needs to come back the way society is today. But would you believe we've almost spent an hour talking already and it really feels like five minutes and I'd love to do another hour. I know, but right? <laughs> we need to close in a, in a minute. What is the best way for clients to reach you um, uh, and clients being people who need criminal defense work or private investigators who need to be trained and want to be trained or public defenders offices or anything like that? What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, right now you're reaching out through your show, which is greatly appreciated on behalf of our profession. So thank you. But if anybody's interested in what we do or needs a defense investigator, I'd recommend they go to defenseinvestigator.com, defenseinvestigator.com, one word. And on that, they can visit the website. They can learn about training. If they need an investigator, they can go to the board certified investigators page. There's a list they can download for board certified criminal defense investigators, certified forensic interviewers are certified forensic science investigators. All of them are specialists in, in the area of criminal defense and due process investigation. And we have them all over the country and even the world. And these people have been vetted. They've been trained. So they, they, they're qualified to handle their case. And we would love the opportunity to provide and deliver training on site to someone who needs it, or they can come to one of our programs, which we have all over the country uh, every year. And I've been doing so, again, for over 20 years now. So 
Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity talking to you, Jeff, as always, and working with you. You know, you're a colleague and friend, and I'm proud to call you that. Likewise. Thank you so much, Brandon. I appreciate it. And really, thanks for taking your time. I know you're busy. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. As we continue to increase our listener base, we appreciate your positive reviews. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week. 